Well, what an amazing <clears throat> parsha we're just uh, getting into here today. And there's quite a bit that I want to share with all of you today uh, concerning the parsha. And first of all, we want to start with God is faithful. Amen? Always. Oh, Hashem. But one of the things that we're going to notice in this parsha that it's very, very, very important for us today. It's the heart and the desire of our Heavenly Father. See, we need to, can I submit, and I want to ask a question to all of you here today. If God were to show up tonight, okay, to your house, personally, boom, up here, okay? And he were to tell you, I want you to be a part of, of the great work that I'm doing with all humanity. What will you say? S yes, maybe. For sure. Right? Give him a couple days, I'll get back with you. Okay. Well, guess what, family? Because in this part of Shah, our Heavenly Father is going to reveal the great work. What matter? you know, the weightier matters on his heart that he desires for his people. See, I think to me that would be an honor. If God were to tell me, I want you to be a part of, this is like the biggest thing in my heart that I want accomplished here today. Will you be a part of that? Sounds good, doesn't it? And it is a very good thing, but unfortunately, family... It requires a little bit of a tweakling here and there in our character to accomplish that. Let me share something with you. First and foremost, a couple things that I want to start opening up with. This parasha right off the bat is revealing one thing, okay? And that is, your sin will always find you out. As a matter of fact, we're going to open up right now when Numbers 32, 23 says, But if you do not do so, then they take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. No matter what we do in this world, folks, everything that is concealed will be revealed, essentially. Which is why we need to be careful in the actions that we take. Because the brothers for 22 years thought, <laughs> we're home free, man. 22 years later. And, and, and act that they did 22 years later is showing up in the surface now. What are we learning real quick? at a shot level very very quickly i don't want to focus too much today on this but really this is important that if we don't deal with the monster that's on our heart today it's going to be exposed in the future see the brothers never dealt with that and now 22 years later we're not even talking about six months you know a couple weeks later we're talking about 22 years later it just popped up very, very interesting and very important to note. Deal with your issues today. If you sleep on them, you're going to have to deal with them in the future. And in the future, you're probably going to be dealing with a bigger monster. Because we've got a tendency to say, ah, it'll work all itself. No, it won't. Nothing is going to work out in itself. You need to face it and deal with it. This is what the brothers in here now have to face this problem. They could have done this 22 years earlier. 
and be done with it, but they didn't. So, side note on that. Now let's get really. We ended up last week with what? Genesis 44, 16, right? In Genesis 44, 16, Judah said, What shall we say my, to my Lord? What shall we speak? Oh, what, how can we clear ourselves? It says, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose uh, hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. You know, it's very interesting how this really last week ended. Because what's happening in here is everything is evolving, if you notice in here. And what God is doing in this involvement with the tribes of Israel, the ten brothers in here, or the, 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 the tribes, the, the brothers of Joseph in here, is that... Joseph is standing here listening to what Yehuda is saying. And what are we noticing in this? What is it that Joseph is really looking for? Has there been any change? Because remember, what are the odds that the brother that they're trying to defend, it's the younger brother. It's almost like a replacement of Joseph. Think about it. So, you know, here we go again. The cycle, you know, what comes around goes around. Now here we are, round two. Let's see. You know, and this is what God will do with each and one of us. You fail a test, he's going to bring you around again to another test. The same test. Here he is. Now the brothers are facing the exact same test that they had to do 22 years ago. And they failed terribly 22 years ago. But what do we notice here in this parsha? right off the bat we see the cry out of judah now what is the element that we see here family one word teshuvah teshuvah in hebrew the sages of israel say that teshuvah which is repentance genuine biblical repentance says covers many sins so it's not so much how long your prayer is. It's not so much how great you dress. It's not so much how pious you look. It is the matter of true repentance. Covers many sins. So this leads us to this parashana. Now I want you to focus on that word teshuvah. Because remember the question that I just asked you about five minutes ago? What if God wanted you to partake in one of the biggest tasks that he has in these last days? And most of you said, yes, sign me up. But one of the aspects that we need to understand that before we can embark in this journey to line up with God's end, great end work requires one little concept, Teshuvah. And we're going to understand why Teshuvah. See, Teshuvah will change our attitudes, number one. And we're going to see how. How is it that Teshuvah changes my attitude? We're going to see this in a minute. Parasha opens up Genesis 44, 18. This is what leads us to this. Judah is pleading now saying, what can we say? What can we do? We are guilty. That's that. I'm not making excuses for my behavior. I'm not saying, ah, oh, yeah, but, ooh, uh, no. I am guilty. Simply put. And I am surrendering to your mercy. Which leads us now to Vayigash. See, this is how the, the sages of Israel train in Torah. There's a concept of Teshuvah coming from Yehuda. 
that now gives birth to the Vayigash. What is Vayigash? Well, let's open up in here and says, Then Yehuda went up to him and said, Oh my Lord, here we go again. Now he's pleading again. See, Yehuda is not boastful at this point. He's very, very submissive. He says, Oh my Lord, please let me, your servant, speak a word in the Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself. Now, let's, I want to open up in, in Hebrew because it says, and look at the language in here. It says, Vayigash elav Yehuda. Vayigash elav Yehuda. Parashah opens up with Vayigash. And most of your English translation, it says, and Judah went up. Or it will say in some of your translation, and Judah approached. One of those two. Similar words. Not that those are bad translation, but it doesn't give it the justification. What Vayigash really is. See, when he says that he vayigash elav Yehuda, and we understand that Judah approached, what does it mean that Judah approached? What is the terminology for vayigash? Look, it is from this Hebrew word in here, garesh. Oh, I'm sorry, gesher. What is gesher? To bridge. To build a bridge, to connect. Have we ever heard of the terminology we need to build bridges in these days? Not a very bad concept because the the, the understanding of Vaigash is from the term of Geshel, and Geshel literally means to bridge. So what when Yehuda approached, the sages say that when Yehuda approached, he was coming with the heart to bridge, to connect. This is all part. Again, going back to the question now 10 minutes ago that I asked, how do we partake of the great work that Hashem is doing in these last days? We have to understand Vayigash. We have to understand Vayigash. And how do we fulfill Vayigash? We have to learn how to put the bridge, the connection. Oh, but it gets worse than this. Not worse, really but better but really worse why because in the word vayigash in order to build a bridge in order to connect guess what what comes with that word and they also connects with vayigash is the hebrew word nagash and guess what negash actually literally means oppress drive even impel what did mashiach do to draw a bridge for humanity to him he became impelled seeing the connection Vayigash is showing the nature of humility that we need in order to connect you understand this as long as we and I want you to keep this word Vayigash in the understanding of a bridge because we're going to revisit this later we're going to revisit this word later it is very important that you remember this. So to oppress, to drive, to even impel, it says. Ephesians 2.14 gives us a picture of what we're looking at in here. And in the, in the, uh, uh, Rashaul, Apostle Paul, writes in his epistle, For he himself is our peace. He's talking about the Messiah. Who has made both what? One. Who's the both? Jews and Gentiles. It says he has made us both one and has what? 
broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, he says. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making what? Shalom, peace. This really connects with Vayigash because what are we seeing? Yehuda coming forward or approaching Joseph. An extremely important work that the father is doing in these last days. Remember, everything is cyclical in the Torah. Okay? So the things they were will be again. And that he may reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, Dr. David Stern actually shares a commentary, and I think it was very, very plausible. And look what he shares in here. He says the, the michzah in Hebrew. Okay, what is the michzah in Hebrew? It says michzah, which divided us literally the middle wall of the boundary fence. Okay, in Hebrew, the mizah literally means that which divides literally in half. Okay, so there's a mizah that divided us in half, Jews and Gentiles. And look what he writes in here. He says, the mizah is something that literally divides into half. In every Orthodox synagogue, a mizah, which this is true, there's a wall separation dividing the men from the women, number one. Okay, but... Apostle Paul also talks in terms, because you got to understand, what did most of the Jews spend their time in the first century? Either they were in the synagogue or they were in the temple. It's usually the two places. If you were not home working, you were in the synagogue or you were at the temple. So in the synagogue, when you walked in, there was a mitzvah, there was a mitzvah, and that is mitzvah, it's the separation of the men and the women. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel today, in the Western Wall, there's a wall separation between the women and the men. It still exists today. Okay, so what about in temple service? Shaul's, which is Paul, says that he's probably not just talking about the synagogue, but also of the temple, he says in here. Why? For instance, surrounding the temple was a wall with a sign which forbade any foreigner to go in on pain of death, according to Josephus Antiquities. So there was a wall separating the Gentiles from prohibiting them from coming in. Okay. So we have walls everywhere within Judaism and within the first century, both in the synagogue and in the temple service. Also, there's the, like I said, like I explained just a minute ago, there was the wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. Also, the walls that separated within the temple, the women as well. So what is, what is he talking about? Because it says in here, putting to death the enmity. What is the enmity that was put to death? Look. Again, David Stern really presents something that I think was really beautiful to hear. Look what he writes. He said, this enmity between Jews and Gentiles have four components, he says. And he, write, he goes on to say, number one, Gentiles envy of the special status accorded to God, accorded by God to Israel and the Torah. So, you know, we already have animosity. I'm a Gentile, you're a Jew. Hey, God loves you. He doesn't love me or he prefers you, not me. So we, got, we already got, we're already starting the wrong foot here. And then number two, Jewish pride at being chosen. Because now I'm a Jew, I'm chosen. I can just pretty do whatever I want. You see? Because I'm chosen. So now we got two issues going on in here. Okay? Three, Gentile resentment of that pride. 
Oh, all of you are very familiar with that one. They abandoned me. They didn't allow me in. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Same scenario here. Now the Gentiles are taking an offense to the fact that it is Jewish pride and they won't allow me to be in part of the synagogue. They won't allow me in leadership. They won't allow me to even study Torah. As a matter of fact, they say Torah is not even for you. You're wasting your time. Right? We all heard it. Okay. Four. Now this is the biggest one that we are dealing with today specifically. Number three and four are the biggest one. Number four is mutual dislike of each other's customs. What do we mean by that? This is common cause of friction between cultures, but in this instance, Jewish customs are different from a, for a unique reason. They did not merely evolve, rather they were the Jewish people's response to the Torah with its commands. Now, the, the, the flip side of that, that I'm adding to what Stern here is saying, is that unfortunately some of the customs that they did add were not necessarily biblical. Or rather customs that were misinterpreted that can happen okay so because of that it says in here uh, uh let me go back in here with its commands set forth in the form of ordinances this is why it is appropriate he says to say that the enmity between jews and gentiles was occasioned by the torah it was the torah was the cause of that because of our interpretation of the Torah. Not the Torah itself, but our interpretation of the Torah. They caused that division. You see? Does that make the Torah wrong? No. And that's not what Rasha is trying to point out in this Ephesians. He's just saying through the Torah, the customs through the Torah that a lot of the Jews uh, uh, enacted, and based on the interpretation, created a division and a friction between Jews and Gentiles. Well, we see that clearly in history. We don't have to second guess it. We don't have to sit here and even chew on it. We see it today. We still witness that today. So, let's look at this. Vaigash elaf Yehuda and Judah approach. If we combine all this statement put together right off of the bat in the beginning, and Gimatria gives us the number of 396. What is so relevant about 396, I will say? Because there's something that the Father is trying to reveal in 396 when he says, and Judah approached. What is the message that Judah approached? First of all, 396 gives us this word, Yoshia. Guess what Yoshia means? What is the name of your Savior? Yeshua. It's his name. Yoshia. And where do we find this? In Psalms 34, 18. But there's another word. That when you combine them to the, together, gives us a great revelation of why is it that Judah approached. First of all, one of the aspects of Judah approaching had to do with Yoshia. Salvation. Okay, number one. And number two, in Hebrew, it is Vechif Rotz. In Hebrew. Vechif Rotz. What is Vechif Rotz? We're going to find this out in a minute. Second Chronicles 31.5. I'm going to take you through both of these scriptures you're going to see something very beautiful as to why the parasha opens up with Vayigash Elav Yehuda. Let's look at it together. Let's start with the first one. Because remember, why we, why we come in these two passages is because both of these words have the same numerical value of this. So there's a passage that the Father wants to show us and then within the context that shows us the, the message in here. Let's start with Yoshia. Look, Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart 
and save such. That word for save right there. Yoshia is the numerical value for Vayigash Elav Yehuda. It says that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. But you see, we read this all the time and we have no clue what we're reading. And we get very poetic at times. But much is read, little is understood. That's the problem. We're going to see this now in Hebrew. This word in here in Hebrew says, Karof Yehovah. It opens up by saying, Karof Yehovah. What is Karof? It's from the Hebrew word Karaf. It is in the midst of something, literally. It says that the Lord, when it says the Lord is near, it's not that he's three feet away from you. It's not even that he is one foot away from you. It is literally he's in the midst of you to give you an idea. That makes a big difference from he's near. Near can be 10 feet away, depending on the person. But to make it all clear, karaf is in between you. Let's just say your heart. It says that he is near. It says, Karov Yehovah. Now look at the Hebrew word in here. Lenish bere lev, it says. Because in, in the translation says that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. The word for broken heart in there, it is lenish bere lev in Hebrew. What is lenish bere Hebrew? That word is nashab in Hebrew. And nashab literally means to blow something away. But look, in the word nashab also connects with not just blowing away, but it also has the word in here, shever. There's three word, two words within that word that you can take. Neshab, which is to blow away, and then you got shever. What is shever? Shever is literally to break and crush into pieces. Like almost pulverizing something, you can say. So, what about the rest? It says... So, what about, it already talks about the broken heart. It's talking about one that is crushed, sheber, right? Something that is completely crushed. But I forgot to mention in sheber, something that is crushed, there's a reason why it's crushed. The understanding of sheber also connects with new birth. In other words, when we become new and birth to bring to birth, we are essentially sheber. We're crushed. Could that be true? How many of you have had to deal with issues when you came to the Lord? It's a new birth. You're getting this. So what is it talking about in here? Because Yehuda, I see you got to see the thing. You got to really start now. Your motor should start running. Because now Yehuda. It's essentially Yehuda. It's a Sheba. He is one who is a new man. New birth. He is one who the Lord now is near because he has a broken heart. Sheba. You want to hear something interesting? Sheba also carries the connotation of breaking. But that word for breaking in biblical understanding and understanding was also interpretation. You hear what I'm talking about? It's talking about Joseph's interpretation of his dreams. Because of the interpretation of Joseph's dreams, Shepherd Judah became now broken. 
what was the interpretation that Joseph will be ruling over them you guys remember the suffering servant you ever heard of the scripture that says the stone in which they rejected has become the chief cornerstone and this was marvelous in the eyes of the Lord why because Shevet the birth, the giving of new birth because of the interpretation of Joseph's dream now. They have received that essentially. And then it says in here, That word for daka, dake, I'm sorry. Dake literally means a contrite spirit. But that contrite spirit is talking about one, a spirit that's actually depressed and oppressed. Would this sound so negative? But when, when does change ever been so lovely? This is what the Father's trying to reveal. It's going to be tough. You're not going to feel good. In other words, it's contrary to your nature. You may even feel depressed because I'm losing everything that I know and I'm not submitting to my flesh anymore. One of the aspects in here that it's talking about is the Lord is near those people who have that kind of heart. And then the second word in here, look at this, James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will what? Lift you up. What did Judah do? He humbled himself in order to what? To vaigash. In order to build a bridge. You getting this? See, many of us want to build a bridge, but we don't want to make changes. And that's very common. I want a bridge, but I don't want to move out of my comfort zone. Can we build bridges that way? Well, you could build a bridge, but it ain't going to get you nowhere. We can always build bridges, but not all bridges lead to life. <laughs> that's the thing we need to understand. So, the second word in here, it is in Gimacho 396, and that is this one. Vekif Rots. Okay? And what is Vekif Rots? We're going to see it in here. Second Chronicles 31.5 uh, 31, says, As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought it abundantly, the tie of everything. Can you see what I'm talking about in here? Because see, it starts with a contrite spirit and a broken heart and then through that broken heart we go to to this one right here as soon as the commandment was circulated what is that word for circulated in there that we have it is the word right here and we're going to see it vekif rots vekif rots is the same numerical value for yehuda approached what happened when yehuda approached yehuda approached because he what vekif rots what is vekif rots it means to literally to outburst but it's uh carries the connotation of an urgency do you want to hear something very interesting vehifro also can mean a village so it's almost like you are now urged you are outbursting in your village you go into all the villages you are does that ring a bell go to everywhere and preach the gospel Yehuda now is Vayichros. He is literally breaking open. He is urgent. Why do you think he approached Joseph? He couldn't contain himself. Vayichros carries that connotation of, um, if I don't speak, I'm going to explode. 
And it's an urgent message that I have to go forward and speak. That's what is happening in here. So how do we get to that point? Well, first of all, you have to go through Psalms to the Psalms first. And that is you need to be of a contrite spirit and a broken heart. You need to be meek before you can now be outburstful and take the word. What is the, what is the setting here? As soon as the commandment was broken off, urgent, the children of Israel acted now. They took it everywhere. This, in a sense, it's what we're seeing, what, what's happening with Yehuda. Yehuda cannot contain himself anymore. Look, and what happens in Genesis 44, 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers, it says. <laughs> We're going to see this in Hebrew because it's very beautiful. In Hebrew, it says, Ve'ata yeshevna, he says. Yeshevna. You know what he's saying? Please let me dwell. Not just I'll dwell. He is begging. Please, na carries the connotation of begging and prayer. He is saying, Vayeshev na, let me please dwell, because that's what Yeshef means, right? And then it says in here, Vayeshev na avdecha, he says. And then he says, Tachat. Tachat. What is Tachat? Now, this is very interesting because it says, Tachat ha naar. What is the naar? The naar is what we translate as the lad. You know, a kid, a young, a young one. He's talking about Yosef. But he says, let me please dwell. And then he says, as a slave, as your slave, Avdecha. And then immediately he says, Tachar. I mean, I'm sorry. Tachat. Tachat hanadair. What is Tachat? Tachat in a translation, it says in here, remain instead of the lad. So that word of instead, hmm, poor translation. It can carry that connotation of instead, but we need to understand that tahat really, the meaning of tahat means to be beneath somebody. It literally means to be in, in one's place, but you are below. So what Jehuda is saying, let me dwell as a servant and let me be as the dust of the earth. Let me be beneath take the lad and I will take his place and I will be below essentially he is asking family humility because why why is this important this is a piece of information that a lot of you don't understand in here is that the sages teach that Yehuda was a king meaning not necessarily ruling as a king but he had the 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 anointing of a king but so did Joseph. As a matter of fact, the sages teach there's a psalm about the two kings meeting and it's alluding to Joseph and Yehuda. Yehuda is saying, I will leave my kingship and I will go beneath, take the lad and I will be below him. The king taking the form of a bondservant. Yeshua, you're getting it. This is in a sense what we're seeing in here. That's why that word, Tahar, is so important because we now we understand the heart of Judah and how he's coming before Joseph. You know what? I don't want to be above you. I'm okay with being your servant. I'm okay with being in a status level. I'm okay with being beneath you. That's really what I say. And instead, it's not just a replacement. It's a replacement where I take a demotion. 
I mean, it's powerful. It says, and then it says, Evet, le Adoni. I'll be a servant to my servant, the Lord. And this says, Na, na, ve, hanaar. It says, Ya'al im echaf, which in the translation says, and let the lad go up with his brother. Let the lad go up with his brother. What is Ya'al? It's talking about that. And this is very beautiful. You see, Ya'al in Hebrew, which is this right here. Ya'al im echaf. And in, in its translation, let the lad go up with his brother the word nahal i mean yaal literally means not so much going up but what judah's really saying is that it will be a benefit it's a profit essentially it's to be efficient yaal means to be efficient to be a benefit he essentially is saying take the lath take benjamin because it's going to be a benefit if i will go and lower myself See, without him lowering itself, there won't be no benefit. You're getting this. How do we the benefit? The benefit is for the unification of the tribes. This is the whole purpose of what Judah's heart is coming. The Hebrew is showing us his heart and what his intentions essentially is. He said, you know what? There will be a great benefit if Benjamin is released and I'll become your servant and not just your servant, but I will take a demotion because I'm anointed as a king. Yehuda is the tribe is the one who is ordained to be the kingship. He said, I will forsake the kingship. I will go beneath. Let the lad go. Why? Because the essence in here is Teshuvah. He didn't want to see his father suffer as it happened the first time. Just the thought of it would have killed him. This is my point, folks. Remember when I, 30 minutes ago, I said the question, if God appeared to you today and said, you want to be a part of my great work that I'm doing? Because you see, do you know that our Heavenly Father is injured in his heart because what has happened with the tribes of Israel? Are you willing to be a Yehuda to say, I will take a demotion and let me be your slave for the betterment and the profit of your people? This is the message. This is what Jehuda is saying in the Hebrew language. It comes alive and we see it. This is, he's not just saying, oh, but you know, forgive me. He is talking about corporately here. He is talking about letting go, not just being a slave, but allowing himself to completely, completely be uh, demoted. And because he did that, because he did that, what happened? This gave now Genesis 45.1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself. How many of you will love for God to get to the point that he cannot restrain himself by your prayers? Ah, that would be awesome, isn't it? How many of you will love to move God the way Joseph was moved? Okay, stop pray start praying the right prayers and you will move him that way. Because you see, what drove Joseph to these years. Remember, Joseph is also prophetic of the Mashiach. What drove Joseph to the, he couldn't contain himself. It's everything that I just shared with you today because he was willing to give up his kingship and be beneath and let Benjamin go for the sake of his father because he saw a great work that was greater. He saw something much greater and he was willing to forsake everything for that great call. When we get to that point in our lives, you will move God to tears.
And to them, there's too much selfishness and pride. And then we wonder why God is not hearing our prayers. Well, I wouldn't hear your prayers either. Much less him. What's this in here? Joseph, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from before me, he says. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, he says. It's very interesting. And Hebrew says, Velo amat ish. No one stood. No man, Velo amat ish. What is amat? Amat is the standing when we stand. As a matter of fact, it's where we get the word amidah, the prayer. The standing prayer. Amat carries the connotation also of military post. A military position, Amat. You ready for battle? Joseph needed not an army, okay, to reveal himself to Israel. In a sense, essentially, it will be Hashem himself who will, uh, who will reveal himself to Israel. So many of us are trying to get the Jewish people to see Yeshua. It ain't your job. Because you see, in the room in here, that's why he said all of them clear out. This was personal between him and Israel. All the other people left. Two things the sages teach about this. This is something personal between, it was something personal between the brothers that he didn't want the nations to see. Number one. But number two, one of the biggest things that the Torah commands us, he did not want to expose shame upon his brothers. Interesting. Because how quick we are when somebody wrongs us, we want to expose them. But the reality is, the essence in here is, he wanted to preserve them from shame because already Yehuda had revealed his heart of repentance when there's repentance folks we need to protect the identity of each one of us when there's true general repentance see this is why he broke down and he cleared everybody out he's like you know what i can't take it anymore and i don't want my brother's images to be smeared for the work that there was going to take place ahead of time in here amen look what the zohar says the zohar says this Rabbi Yesa explained the verse as referring to the time when the blessed Holy One will raise assembly of Israel from the dust and will seek her vengeance from all other nations also. In other words, the Zohar also sharing another flip of this, that the clearing of the room also is connected with, remember, the vengeance of the nations upon Israel because they were taken out, taken away. You know, one will be treading the mill and the other one will be taken out. They were gone. They were removed. When he revealed himself to Israel is when he's going to pass judgment in the world. So they connect this also. Look what they say. It says that the Holy One will raise an assembly of Israel from the dust and will seek her vengeance from the other nations. Of that time, it is written from the nations, no one was with me. It says it in Isaiah chapter 63, 3. When he's passing, he says, no one was with me here. It is written, no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. As it is said, he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Look, 
in here, in Turha Rock, it says this. And Joseph could no longer restrain himself in the presence of all the courtiers around him. According to Rashi, what, be, what bothered Joseph was that all the Egyptians would become uh, privy to matters which were private between him and his brothers. Like, are we just sharing in here? He did not want the shame. He did not want to shame his brothers publicly when he would reveal himself to them and unavoidably their part in his in his uh having been brought to egypt in the first place will become to light so the people would know hey first of all why were you here <laughs> and why was he not here and you know like putting the trying to connect both of them essentially it would not give room for that kind of spirit to take place so what we see in here now and i want to share real quickly is that Yosef sees the heart of Yehuda. Yehuda and Yosef, Yosef, they, they're both a prophetic picture of Mashiach, kingships. But in this case, to keep it at a Pashat level today, Yosef is the what? The suffering servant. So we see something very at a Pashat level. We see Joseph, the 10 tribes of Israel, and we see Yehuda. How did the two tribes are going to come together? something that an essence that first of all we already we already discover it is teshuvah but there's another terminology that the sages teach that is needed for the tribes to come together and for the revelation as the tribes come together for the revelation of mashiach to be revealed right and this term is called in hebrew gimilut hasidim gimilut hasidim in hebrew typically is it's it's taught as charity benevolence but that's really does not give justice what Gimilu Hasidim is look what our greatest sages write with concerning Gimilu Hasidim our greatest sages say this when we give to somebody that does not deserve when we give to somebody that's not deserve we practice Gimilu Hasidim in other words what I put in there was the ger because the girl is the stranger. In other words, Gimelu Hasidim starts with the letter in Hebrew, Gimel. I don't want to go too depth for this. I don't want to confuse you. But the Gimel in Hebrew, when there's a system in Hebrew, there's Ko Atbayach. And what you do is you take the letters in the Hebrew alphabet in the order how they start and then in the order backwards. So if you take the Gimel, starting from the beginning, and you take it from the end, moving back forward, you land in Resh. So Gimel and Resh gives you Ger, the stranger. What is Gimelu Hasidim trying to teach us? That we are to extend this to the strangers. The ones who are not of Israel. See, this is a big problem today, folks, because since we came to the Messianic movement now, now we don't want to extend anything to anybody unless they're part of the congregation. And if they're not of the congregation, we don't want to deal with them. Now, there's got to be the sermon too. Don't get me wrong. Because what was the essence in here with Jehuda and Joseph? There was Teshuvah. Remember, Joseph's heart became revealed. In a state of Teshuvah, no matter whether you are part of Israel or no matter whether you are part of the Gentile community, you're supposed to extend Gibilu Hasidim because at the end of the day, none of us deserve it. The teaching here is nobody, none of us really deserve it, simply put. But where, what is, uh, what is the sages teach? That where there is repentance, it covers all sins. See, you have to put everything together. 
so that you can get the right message. Because the sages also teach that you don't want to extend bad grace. You got to balance it. So what is Gizlum, Hasidid, and bad grace? How do we balance? How do we reconcile? Well, we see it with Judah. Have we, have we really repented? Have we shown the fruits of repentance? Are we willing to become like Judah and forsake everything and become low? This is what we extend, Gimelu Hasidim. So it says in here, Joseph is the shadow of the Messiah. It's also known in Hebrew as El Gomel. Gimelut is Gomel. That's the Gimel in, he, in the letter Hebrew. Which is the, the, extending again uh, the, the, uh, the grace that you don't deserve. So let's look at this. Where do we find that he is El Gomel? We see it in here in Mashiach in Jeremiah 51, 56. Because the plunderers come against her, against Babylon and her mighty men are taken. Every one of their bows is broken. For the Lord is the God of recompenses. He will surely repay according to Jeremiah. And when it says for the Lord is the God of recompense. What does this mean? In Hebrew it says El Gemulut Yehovah. In that passage, it says he is El, the God. El is God. God, Gemulot, Yehovah. Gemulot is, again, what we just talked about. Giving when they don't deserve it. And how is he going to repay? He repays with Shalom. He recompenses Israel with Gimilu Hasidim. He recompenses Israel with what? Talking about the covenant of peace for his people. Look. Gimelu Hasidim. This represents how we are to live in this world. We're learning something from the character of Joseph, but we're also learning something from the character of Judah. Symbolic of Mashiach and the revelation of Mashiach, but also symbolic, folks, symbolic of the two tribes coming together. What is the goal of the Father in these last days? He wants all Israel to come together. Sounds pretty. But the thing is, there's a problem. Because we cannot just come to God however we want. So how do we work this? What's the middle ground here? What's the solution? Well, we got Gimelul Hasidim for one. But before we can extend Gimelul Hasidim, we need to have what? We have to have repentance. So look, this represents how we are to live in this world. Israel was known as a Garim. That is a stranger. Joseph practiced Gimelul Hasidim as Yeshua taught it in Matthew chapter 6. Now we're going to see something very interesting because <clears throat> it says in here that he told the Egyptians to leave the room. Why did he tell them? We already covered possibly the two reasons in here that Hazal shares. But one of them is Gimelul Hasidim. See, Joseph was about to extend Gimelul Hasidim to the tribes that didn't deserve it. And in doing that, he had the brothers remove. I mean, the, the, the people of Egypt remove. They were in the room. Why? Because Matthew chapter 6 tells us this. Look. Take heed that you do not do your charities before men. What did he do? He said, remove yourself out of the room. Because you see, I'm about to practice Gimelul Hasidim with these people, my brothers. By the way, you don't even know who they are. But I'm, I'm not only am I going to avoid shame on them, but I'm not going to perform these deeds in front of you either. Look, it says in here, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, a charitable deed right there, it could mean gimulu chasidim in Hebrew. So it says in here, uh, when you when you practice the charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Or surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, gimulu chasidim. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. What happened with Yosef when he practiced Gimelu Hasidin to the brothers? He was elevated. He didn't have to do this before men to be elevated. God himself elevated him. He was ruling over them, if you recall correctly here. Amen? So we're going to finalize this parasha in the really, really powerful and, and the real message in here connecting everything together is in, or rather, we're going to now see the revelation of Yosef. Because the revealing of Yosef is very, very important in understanding this. Genesis 45.3 says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, thus my father still live. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed, it says at his presence very very interesting one of the first thing that we see in here is what is the first question that joseph asked his brothers is my father well does he remember what they he can joseph's probably thinking they put him through so much grief he's probably dead his concern for his father was the first response do we care about our father in his response do we care about what he thinks it's interesting because his first response was his father look look what the Midrash Tanhuma shares in here Tanhuma says this according to the Tanhuma Joseph said to them and I love what Tanhuma says listen to this it's very interesting in the Tanhuma the sage says that Joseph said this did you not say this one's brother is dead I shall call him now, and he will come. Thereupon he started calling, Joseph, son of Jacob, come forth. So the brothers are all looking in the room. Where the heck is he? Right? So he's playing the role. Come on, Joseph, son of Jacob, come forward. And they're all like, look what it says. The brothers look at each other in the four corners of the room, and nothing happened. Then Joseph said, Ani Yosef. That's why he said, I need Yosef, because he called them. He was pretending that Joseph was in the room, but then he realized, hey, I'm the one right here. So he says, what, what are you looking for? I am your brother Joseph. When the brothers heard that they lost consciousness, it says. That's why I said, yeah, they fainted. That's why they were like, ooh, they got lightheaded real, real quick. And it says, when the brothers heard that this, they lost consciousness. This is why they could not answer him, it says. Look. Rabbi Yohanan used this experience of Joseph's brother to exclaim, and I love what the rabbi wrote in here, woe to us on the day of our death. Woe to us when we will be called upon to answers for our sins. Because the Midrash connects this to the future time where all humanity is going to have to go before the king and make answers for that. Look. If the brothers were so stricken when they heard Joseph reveal himself 
to his to uh, to, uh, to them how much more would it be frightening when we stand before god to be judged think about that scary thought huh look and joseph said to his brother please come near me so they came near then he said i am joseph your brother whom you sold into egypt this is the revelation and the breaking point in here because now the brothers didn't recognize him why the brothers didn't recognize him he looked egyptian right he looked egyptian family yeshua looks egyptian today but i let's take this now at a more level that's more understanding for us today okay the people of god the scattered tribe of god looks egyptian too this is why yehuda doesn't want to intermix with us because we don't look like a hebrew they were questioning but look this is the turning point because remember keep in mind what is the title of this parsha vayigash how do we bridge interesting look what Hazal has to say about this because it says in here that the brothers he said to the brothers come near me as a matter of fact in Hebrew let's see it in here let's read it in Hebrew it says Vayomer Yosef el Achaf Echaf it says Vayomer Yosef el Achaf Geshu Na it says Vayigash Vayigashu Vayomer Ani Yosef so it says in here to them that Joseph says Geshuna. Draw near. Remember? Bridge. Connecting. Draw near. But he didn't just say draw near. He said Geshuna. Draw near in prayer, please. Humbleness, meekness again. He says draw near, please. In Geshuna. So Hazal says that because of this, there's something very prophetic concerning this. And the Midrash Rabbah shares this. Why did he say Geshuna? draw near they're on the room by the way but remember they didn't believe that he was Yosef so Midrash Rabbah says this the Midrash uh, derives this from Joseph's word come close if you please for why else would he require them to come closer when Joseph's brother first heard him say that he was Joseph they were stunned by his words and went into shock pass out essentially However, when they, when they finally calmed down, they thought about it more and concluded that it was just another trick of his. They did not believe him until he showed them that he was circumcised. Remember that Joseph also had already ordered in Egypt that all who wanted to partake of food had to be circumcised. Now, what is the concept of circumcision? Not understood today, but the concept of circumcision through the biblical understanding was what? Submission to the Heavenly Father in His Torah. In other words, he looked Egyptian in the outside, but when they saw, oh, wait a minute, he is circumcised. They believed him. Yeah, to some, something, something very interesting. How do we bridge the problem that we have today <laughs> we need to in the flesh yes I understand the way you're thinking but I want you to think spiritual how do we bridge today your heart needs to be circumcised Judah needs to see you, them in you this is the issue that we have in today 
because we already have a problem the fact that in the outside we look Egyptians again I'm going to present this question that I presented about almost close to an hour ago how many of you want to be a part of the if God showed up to you today and say I want you to be a part of the the biggest task that I ever wanted in my life and I mean everything that I have everything that I want to do my purpose I want you to be a part of it will you do it you see because part of that doing means you need to become circumcised in the heart and in your mind we need to be submissive to the Torah we need to show Judah that we are part of them see the only way that this bridge took place is when they saw that he was circumcised and they said oh it is Yosef all along we didn't know it was you this is at a Peshat level at a Remes level how is Israel going to accept the Messiah when they see that the Messiah is circumcised that he's really not an Egyptian he just looks Egyptian but he's really a Hebrew he's really one of the covenant of Abraham family don't let your hearts take over in this submit to what God is doing in these last days allow our prize and let's become like Judah low oh Richard but I don't think that's right it doesn't matter whether you think it's right or wrong who are you you know what that's called pride you could say it pride you want a bridge then you need to get out of your comfort zone you know if it's wrong then the Mashiach will deal with it I don't see where and how it's wrong because we see it here in the in this parsha. but how is it going to hurt is the question here's another thing that you guys may not know that I didn't present today Hazal also says that not only did they saw that he was circumcised that's why he said draw near to me by Yeshua but also Yosef spoke the holy tongue to them he was not speaking Egyptian and there was no interpreter what do we see the essence in here many people say well, what do we need Hebrew for you're right you probably don't need it but would it help what God is doing in the latter days does it hurt that we're trying to connect and build the bridge because that was one of two things that sealed the deal the circumcision and the fact that he spoke the holy tongue you're one of us yeah you look like an Egyptian but ah, you're one of us you see this is the whole thing family if the Jewish people don't see any aspect of Torah in us how are we going to bridge Vayigash how are we going to Vayigash because I'm going to tell you this for the last 1500 years we've been trying to build bridge and it's doing nothing the only thing it's doing is creating more animosity and separation for that matter so I say <laughs> I don't know <laughs> kind of throwing it out there that we try something that we see evident in the God's word amen look they were at loss to explain what had happened look what the Midrash Ravah continues at. with two simple words Joseph says I am Joseph all now listen to this when he said that according to Hazal 
This is what Israel went through. It says, all the gnawing questions were answered immediately. Everything became crystal clear. Joseph said little, but all was clear. In a flash, the landscape of their lives for the previous 22 years became illuminated. All the mysteries were dispelled and they realized on their own that they have been living a life for all those years. At one point, we need to start thinking, am I living a lie? Look. How profoundly have they misjudged Joseph and their own motives and actions? There could be no stronger rebuke and they shrank back into shame. This is essentially what the Midrash is about. On a person's day of ultimate reckoning, he too will realize with painful clarity. I love, I have to add this in here because I thought it was just beautiful. Look what it says. On a, on a person's day, the ultimate reckoning, he too will realize with painful clarity the lie that was his life. Each man will be rebuked according to who he is. All that he could have been. Listen to what Hazal is saying. You're going to rebuke not for who you are, but for all that you could have been, but did not become. If a person would only realize now what he is, not just a mere person of flesh and blood, but a person with sublime soul and with near infinite. Because you were created in the image of God. What separates you from the animals is that God breathed Ruach upon you. See, we really take a lot of things for granted. We make excuses why we can't. And this is what the Midrash is teaching us concerning what Yosef and, and the brothers Judah. Look what it says in here. We are created. We are sublime soul with near infinite potential. He would live a different life. In other words, if we understood really the capacity and how God created us, we will not be making the excuses that we've been making all our lives. Why we can't do something. Look, the tale of our lives, and I love what they wrote in here, the tale of our lives needs not to be a tale of woe. You can make that change today. Look, it says, as long as God gives us life, he gives us the opportunity to add the chapters that will count the most when the book is openly open and revealed. Add chapters to your life right now by standing up and living to the potential that God created you to be. Instead of making sobbing excuses, why I'm flesh and blood. You know, I'm sick and tired of hearing that. I'm just man. Okay, and what are you trying to say? Excuse. Aim for the highest and the Mashiach will help you. Look, we're going to conclude today with the aftermath of the revealing of Joseph in connection with us today. Because this is a very, very important factor. And I want to real quickly, because um, I'm already out of time, but real quickly here, understanding that in this section of the Parsha, what we're going to cover it is understanding the redemption of Joseph. There's two redemptions according to Judaism. There's the redemption of Joseph and there's the redemption of David. We need to understand the redemption of Joseph so that we can fulfill the works. So when David comes, 
we'd be found righteous before him. You understand this? So salvation has two parts. So what is our part today? This is huge, and I think it's important that we understand it. Look, it says in here, Genesis 45. Now, after the revelation of Joseph, because now they see that he's a Hebrew, he speaks the holy tongue, he is circumcised. Yes, you are a brother, let's unite. And now, by the way, Joseph has everybody that wants to eat in, in, uh, in Egypt circumcised. So now the brothers feel even more comfortable with that, right? It's setting the pattern for all the Gentiles and Jews coming together. In the story, we see it there. What happens? This is the aftermath. Hurry, he says, and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children and your children's children, your, your flocks and your herds and all that you have, he says. <laughs> How can we not see it? Let me share something with you. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. First and foremost, I want to cover that real quickly. Because in Hebrew, and I highlighted it, it says, Samani Elohim le Adon, it says. Semani. When he says, God has made me. Stop there. Not Lord, because Lord is Adoni. So we get that. But when he says, God has made me, it is the Hebrew word, Samani. Samani literally means the choicest of the land. It is actually the fat. That's what you bring to God, the best, the, the, the choices, the fat of, of the animal. That's Samani. So he is saying essentially that Joseph has made, Joseph is part of the best choice of the land, essentially. He is the best choice of the land. But then look what it says. Immediately after that, he says, Samani Elohim le Adon. Then it says, Lechol Mitzrayim. Then it says, Reda Elav El Ta'amot. So when it says, Come down to me, do not tarry. It is, do not tarry, it is Al Ta'amot. What is Ta'amot? It is from the Hebrew word Amat, standing. He is saying, Don't just stand, I need you to move. This is the aftermath, remember. Now he's been revealed. Now they have a job. He's saying, I need you to not stay still. I need you to have an urgency. I need you to move. I need you to get the tribe, the rest of the tribes. Because where are the rest of the tribes? They're still down in Canada. He needs to bring them in. But wait a minute, this is backwards. I thought we were supposed to go to the land. Because you see, the first redemption has nothing to do with going back to the land. The first redemption has to do with Goshen. And we're going to see this. Look, Goshen ties into the parasha. Look, he says, Reda Elah. So when he says, come down, it is the word Reda Elah. It says in Hebrew. What is Reda Elah? The word Reda, when he says, come down to me, it literally means to have rulership over. It, it, when it talks about having dominion, Reda means to have dominion, to have rulership. But listen to this, to tend to a flock. He is saying, come down to Goshen because essentially I'm going to be your shepherd and I'm going to tend to you. Sounds really good, right? I'm going to have dominion over you. Sounds good, right? But Reda also means punish. 
But the punishment that he is talking about essentially is that they're not in the land. Remember, they, they're exile. So while they're in exile, they're being punished, but at the same time, he's tending them. Sound familiar? Where are we now? We're being tended right now. See, he's the shepherd. Now, I want all of you to stay, if you can, today for the Bricha Dasha, because it connects to what we're just talking about right here. Today's Bricha Dasha is John chapter 10. We're going to really connect it very powerfully, Yeshua's word, with this. And we're going to see how it connects beautifully. So he says in here that he ought to tend. I mean, go down because I'm going to tend. I'm going to be a, essentially, I'm going to be your shepherd, essentially. Look, Genesis 45, 10. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. And you and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. Do you realize, do you realize that this was also, Hazal says, that this was for the purpose for Abraham's, what? Prophecy to come true that you will dwell in a land that is not your own. Uh, talking about essentially the Geulah, the exile. This is huge, family. Because the first aspect of the function of the Messiah, the first function is to deal with you while you're in exile. Now you're going to see how beautifully that ties in and we're going to close out. In Hebrew, look what it says. When it says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, it says, Vayishavta Beretz Goshen so it says in Beretz Goshen. What is it? What is Goshen? Look, it's funny how this word is because it's a three-letter word: the Gimel, the Shin, and the Nun Sofit in Hebrew. So Goshen, when you look at it, it breaks it down. The first two letters is Gesh, and Gesh means to what? Draw near. What is the What is the title of this parsha? Vayigash, to draw near. Okay? But it's talking about a bridge. When we draw near, we're talking about aspects of connecting. So in this word, you have gesh, which is drawing near, gesh. And then you also have shen in the same word. What is shen? Change. A period of changing seasons. In other words, what he is saying is that in Goshen, he is going to draw us near so that we may change through seasons, meaning mature, spiritual maturity. The place in Goshen is the place where he says, I'm going to change you. What phase are we prophetically speaking? I believe that we're still in the phase of Goshen. See, we're still in Goshen. We haven't left yet. It's a change. It's a, it's a season of completely change. Shana. That word Shana literally means changing in seasons. This is what the Brihadasha talks about. So, uh, Paul talks about this all the time in the New Testament. About the changing of the season. You see, the Geula, you got to understand that the, 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 the function of Joseph right now is to give us redemption so that we can be in exile so that he can provide for us and that we can change to get us ready for the final exile where he will bring us to the land Whew. i said that in less than five minutes pretty cool but you see this is the purpose we need to line up with that purpose if we don't know god's purpose how can we line up with god's purpose we have to know god's purpose his purpose is for us to be in goshen so stop trying to get out of goshen by the way Listen to what Hazar says. In Chumash, it says this. And this is going to make perfect sense to you, hopefully. It says, 
Joseph had good reason to choose Goshen as the future home of his family. The place where they lived throughout their stay in Egypt. He wanted to keep them segregated from the mainstream of Egypt's idolatrous and immoral life. Even in exile, God is separating us so that we don't intermix. Because why? Remember what Shana means? Goshen? To draw near for Shana purposes. Shana is to change in seasons. How can you change? How can you mature if you're in mainstream Egypt? Getting this. This is why, yes, many of us are in our little Goshen right now because we have come out of the city. This is very prophetic for us today. We're being separated because now we want that change. You're getting it. We're looking for the seasons of the changes. Allow them to freely pursue the shepherding and activity that was hateful to the Egyptians. See, the aspect of shepherding for Egypt was horrible. They didn't like it. Because a shepherd leads to life. And this is, we're going to understand the concept of a shepherd in John chapter 10 today. Please stick around if you can. You're going to understand John chapter 10 like never before, I promise you. I'm going to show you John. I'm going to show you John chapter 10 today in a ways that you never, I don't really believe you've seen it before. So we're going to end with this. John 17, 14. I have given them your word and the world was hated. The world has hated them for they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. See, they were in Goshen. They didn't belong to Egypt, but they were there for a reason. Because remember, what is the Hebrew word in there? It means that they were there because God was punishing them, but at the same time, he was tending to them. They said, Ramas and there that you need to understand, and we'll finalize with this, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I choose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit. What is the fruit? The obedience to Torah. What did Joseph reveal to them? That he was of the right fruit. You see, he says, I, I have appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit, well, fruit that will what? Don't be a slacker, guys. Don't be all hardcore and Torah one year and then I'm um, kind of laxing now. Slow and steady wins the race. Be consistent in your walk. Don't be so zealous that you run out of gas in six months and now you're reverting back. Be consistent. This is a long race, guys. What happens when you got a long race? You don't start sprinting. Slow and steady wins the race. Just make sure that you're heading in the right direction. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Why? Because you are going slow and steady and you're heading in the right direction. Why did Joseph break down and granted the revealing? Because the meekness of Joseph in humbling himself. How do we resolve the problem today with the Messianic movement and Christians and the Hebrew Roots movement today? We need to become like a Judah and say, I will go below you because that's the way we're going to bridge together. How else are we going to bridge together? We need to stop our idolatry and we need to start connecting with our brothers in Israel. When a Jew walks into your assembly or the whatever assembly he belongs to, he should feel at home. Amen. May not be all the same, but he should be like, oh, yeah, I recognize that. Oh, yeah, I recognize that. Yeah, I recognize that. If he doesn't, 
we're not we're not doing Vayigash we're not reaching the gap we're not building the bridge to connect finally how do we reveal Messiah how do we reveal Messiah to the Jews Joseph look Egyptian when we show them our circumcision folks and I'm not talking about little I'm talking about when they see that we walk Torah and that we submit yes that we our, our our teachings goes back to Hazal our teachings go back to the ancient sages of Israel we teach from the Hebrew language that's why Joseph spoke Hebrew they were like an Egyptian speaking Hebrew this is all prophetic of these last days we need to get involved with Judah we need to get involved with our brothers and stop with the pride already and arrogance enough is enough already I don't know about you but I want to be and I want this congregation to be part of the great work that God is doing in the last days you want to continue in your oh well, I don't have to be like them more power to you this congregation is moving forward we're going to do the higher call of God and we will become like a Judah and submit and build that bridge and go I don't know get somewhere along the lines you might learn something you might just learn something that's the key so in Yeshua's mighty name, let it be so. Amen. Baruch Hashem. No PowerPoint for you today. Rich is following in my footsteps today, too. He doesn't have a PowerPoint for you later. Yes. Uh, gives us a little bit more freedom to move around a little bit. Um, in order to understand this prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 37, we need to have a little bit of a back, back history. Uh, in in uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, we see that the 12-tribe nation known as Israel is divided by Hashem due to Solomon's failure in the covenant, uh, fa failure to observe the covenant and to follow Hashem. And re we can read in 1 Kings 11 that Solomon had 700 wives that included princesses. He also had 300 concubines. For you men of the assembly that can hardly handle the one woman you have, can you imagine handling a thousand women Solomon also turned away his heart from Hashem and in doing so he turned away the nation of Israel he was not perfect with Hashem as his father David had been as scripture says in verses 9 through 11 we read therefore Hashem was enraged with Shlomo because his heart had turned away from Hashem Elohim of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this word not to go after other mighty ones, but he did not guard what Hashem had commanded. And Hashem said to Shlomo, because you have done this and have not guarded my commandment, my covenant and my laws, which I have commanded you, I shall certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to, to your son. Only I do not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, out of the hand of your son, I shall tear it. The kingdom would be split and given to Jeroboam. First Kings 11, 30 through 32 says, and Ahiah took hold of the new garment that was on him on Jeroboam, tore it into 12 pieces and said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says Hashem, the Elohim of Israel, see, I am tearing the rain out of the hand of Shlomo and shall give 10 tribes to you, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. 
At the end of the chapter, in chapter, uh, chapter 11, it says, Jeroboam is told that ten tribes will be given to him after the death of Solomon. Judah, with Benjamin, along with J Jerusalem, will be given to Rehoboam, son of Slomo, to leave a light in the city in which he chose to place his name. But Jeroboam is told he must also obey all that Hashem commands, to walk in his ways and to do what is right in the eyes of Hashem, to guard his laws and commandments, and Hashem will build for him a house in order to humble for a time the seed of David. Jeroboam is promised the same thing that was promised to Shlomo, build a house, but all you have to do is follow me. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we, we see that Rehoboam is given the kingdom after his father's death. He increases then the taxes, the yoke of taxes upon the people, pushing the separation of the northern tribes in order to establish the word of Hashem. We need to remember that Hashem had already declared that he was taking away the kingdom from the house of David, from Shlomo. The northern tribes then are set up. They go and set up Jeroboam as king over them. And Jeroboam builds up the city of Shechem in the mountains, mountains of Ephraim in order to live there. Because of his pride and the fear that the northern tribes would then later return to Rehoboam as their king, should they continue to bring offerings to the temple in Jerusalem, he institutes his own mighty ones to whom Israel is commanded to bring offerings. And he sets up idols of gold in Bethel and in Dan. And he changed the appointed times and caused the children of Israel to stray from Hashem. This led the northern kingdom to be apostate in the eyes of Hashem. He did not listen to Hashem to follow the ways of Hashem, to keep his covenant. The northern kingdom, later known as Shomeron and Samaria, would eventually be exiled around 720 B.C., conquered by the Assyrians, a Mesopotamian empire that existed between 911 and 609 B.C. As a whole, the exiles from the northern kingdom would never return to their land, and those who were able to stay or return later would always be spiritually separate from the Jewish people. That brings us to Ezekiel. Ezekiel the individual prophesied during the Babylonian exile. He actually lived in Babylon. The prophecies of chapter 37 begin with the Valley of Dry Bones and ends with the joining of the two sticks that we read today. Whether the chapter was a prophetic vision or actually happened is the subject of dispute among the sages. It is also the half Torah for the Sabbath during Pesach. According to the Milstein edition of commentary on Ezekiel, according to Tur Sukhan Aruk, in Orach Chaim 490, there is a tradition that Takyit Hamatim, which is revivication of the dead, will take place on Pesach. Rav David Feinstein suggests that before the Exodus, the enslaved nation had given up hope, and then it was liberated and revived. Loss of hope is like death. This chapter affirms that there is always hope of a new affirmative spiritual life. Now, Let's go back to the revivication of the dead at Pesach. When was Yeshua slain? Passover. We read in Matthew 27, verses 50 through 53, And Yeshua cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And see, the veil of the dwelling place was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth was shaken and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the set-apart ones who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the set-apart city and appeared to many so we can actually read in the Brit Hadashah in the book of Matthew the fulfillment of this idea that the 
the dead would be raised on Pesach. Now going back to Milstein edition, it says Ezekiel is now commanded to perform a symbolic act signifying that a historic centuries-long breach will be healed, that of the nation of Judah and that of the nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. King Solomon was succeeded by his son Rehoboam, who had alienated much of the nation. He was challenged by Jeroboam who was accepted as the leader of the ten northern tribes. They seceded from the Davidic kingdom and crowned Jeroboam as their king. Under him, the ten tribes were led into idolatry. And as related in the book of ki books of Kings and Chronicles, they drifted from one spiritual and military disaster to another until all ten tribes were exiled and lost to the nation. Now Ezekiel is given a prophecy that the breach would be healed and the nation reunited under the Davidic dynasty of King Messiah. So we began our portion in verse 18. When the children of your people speak to you, saying, won't you show us what you mean by these, bringing the two sticks together? You are to say to them, thus said the master Hashem, see, I'm taking the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, because there were tribes of Israel who were the companions of Ephraim. I shall give unto them with the stick of Judah and make them one stick and they shall be one in my hand and the sticks on which you write shall be in your hand before their eyes and speak to them thus said the master Hashem see I'm taking the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and shall gather them from all around and I shall bring them into their land and I shall make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them and let them no longer be two nations, and let them no longer be divided into two kingdoms. So we see the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah being reunited. We see the beginning of the fulfillment of that in Matthew 24, Matthew 15, verse 24. Yeshua then answering says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep were lost at the time of the northern kingdom's exile in 720 B.C., in John 10, which Richard is going to be expounding on today in the Brit Hadashah portion, Yeshua says, there are other sheep I have which are not of this fold. I have to bring them in as well, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. We can see Yeshua pointing back towards Ezekiel 37, indicating that he will be the king eventually to bring the two together. We see unification. Romans 11.25 says, For I do not wish you to be ignorant of this secret, brothers, lest you should be wise in your own estimation, that hardening in part has come over Israel, that is Judah, until the completeness of the nations has come in. There is an idea that the northern kingdom has been so lost that now the goyim that are coming in to the faith are those lost of Ephraim. Now we don't know who is Ephraim. We don't know who is Dan. We don't know who is Naphtali. We don't know for sure who was Levi. There may be some sitting here who are of the blood lineage of Judah, but don't know it. But the fact is, we had gone astray. We'd become a stranger to the covenants of Hashem. And he's bringing us back through Yeshua Messiah. Now, the joining of the two sticks is a unification process. In Ezekiel 37, 19, we read, Say to them, Thus said the Master, See, I'm taking the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel and his companions, and I shall give them unto him with the stick of Judah and make them one stick. Milstein, addition of the commentary, says, I'm placing on them the wood of Judah. In other words, the two sticks aren't going to be end to end. They're going to be together. 
And I'm taking Judah and putting them on Ephraim because it is was Judah that was given the oracles of God and kept the oracles of God. And so in order to put those same oracles on Ephraim, it's Judah's responsibility. Judah needs to teach. It says all the 12 tribes will be a part of the single kingdom ruled by a descendant of Judah. Well, we can go to Matthew and Luke and see that Yeshua is a descendant of Judah due to the genealogy record. I will make them into one piece of wood, never to be separated again, according to the Targum. Now in Ezekiel 37, 21 and 23, it says, Speak to them, thus says the Master. I'm taking the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and shall gather them from all around, and I shall bring them into their land. I shall make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. They shall no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their disgusting matters. I will save them from their dwelling places in which they have sinned. They shall be my people and I be their Elohim. Milstein again says here, there will no longer be enclaves for the ten tribes and other enclaves for Judah and Benjamin. They will truly be a unified nation according to Mezodotes. However, they will not be redeemed until they are united. The Midra- according to the Midrash Tanchema and Nitzavim. So important is the unity discussed here that it seems to be a prerequisite for the declaration in verse 23 that they will no longer be contaminated with their idols. We need to be united with Judah, with understanding of who Hashem is. We cannot come at them with our own dogma and our own preconceived ideas and our own teachings. We need to be learning from them and coming under them so that we be unified with them. A Barbanel cites that, that a Midrash that when people of Israel rebelled and cast off the authority of the Davidic kingdom, they also cast off the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Accordingly, not only when the entire nation accepts the kingdom of David will it again accept the yoke of heaven and no longer be contaminated with their idols. At that point, they will be a nation unto me and I will be their God. Romans 3.20, excuse me, Romans 3.2 says, What then... It, uh, one, one, I'm sorry, it's one and two. What then is the advantage of the Jew or what is the ad value of circumcision? We understand circumcision not necessarily of the flesh but of the heart. Much in every way because first indeed they were entrusted with the words, the oracles of Elohim. We need to be learning from them. Of course, we teach that every, every Shabbat. We stand here and we say we need to be learning from the Jews. But are you learning from the Jews? Are you still seeking the outside sources from the old ways, the ways that are not right, not true. Ephesians 2, 11 and 16, Richard touched on a little bit today. Paul writes, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Messiah excluded from the citizenship of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no expectation and without hope, excuse me, and without Elohim in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Paul's describing this grafting in process. Two pieces of wood, one that has life and one that is dead. The dead one being grafted into the one that is living in order that they can both be sharing the nutrients of the root. For he is our peace who has made both one and having broken down the partition of the barrier that he talked about today, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the Torah, the commands and dogmas so as to create in himself one renewed man from the two. Or we could even say one renewed woman because she's the bride of Messiah. 
and to completely restore favor both of them unto Elohim in one body through the stake, having destroyed the enmity by it. It is our duty to be learning the Jewish ways to understand who Messiah is from the Old Testament point of view so that we have an understanding of what the New Testament is written. If we try to approach the New Testament without the foundation of the Old, then we will always and forever twist what is written. We try to come at it with what, how we want to decipher it instead of how it's already been deciphered. We need to be coming under Judah to learn from Judah so that we can be grafted in and be made one in Messiah. And that's your half Torah today. Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. You know, Wayne made a statement in his teaching today that unless we return back to the Jewishness of our faith, we're going to misinterpret a lot of things. And I will submit to you that that is true. Today's teaching, we're going to see a perfect example of that how many times first of all how many of you read john chapter 10 good portion of you good so some of you have read john chapter 10 over the years that you've been in this walk right and what is your understanding of john chapter 10 if you haven't mind me asking real quickly here what is your understanding of that chapter any givers lee i know you want to answer okay okay sheep Okay. Mm -hmm. Amen. Any other givers? Yes. What is your understanding of John chapter ten? That's your always been your understanding of this. Wow. Okay. The the shepherd is the Jew. Okay. Which is, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other givers? I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm getting ideas in here real quickly. You want to see understanding? The authority of Yeshua. Okay. Well, for, for my understanding of John chapter 10 has always been, we don't come to the Father except through Yeshua. At a most basic level. Not that any of the answers that you gave was necessarily wrong, but it still doesn't justify what Yeshua was talking about in John chapter 10. See, this is what happens when we remove ourselves. Again, not that I'm saying these answers are bad. They just don't give justice to what really Yeshua is trying to convey here in John chapter 10. Because, again, we have removed ourselves from these things. In order to appreciate this parsha. I mean, this Idrash in here in John chapter 10, 11 through 19, we have to understand when he started in John chapter 10, 1. In John chapter 1, 10, 1, he said, Assuredly, I tell you the truth. The man who enters to the sheepfold through the gate, but climb in some other way, is a thief and a robber. But the man who enters to the, to the gate, it is the shepherd of the sheep. Then he goes on to saying, my sheep hear my voice, Right? As I call this name, the shepherd calls the name of the sheep and the sheep follow them, he says. What is the understanding? First and foremost, he says, I tell you the truth. The man that does not enter to the, sh the sheepfold through the gate, but climb in some other way, is a thief and a robber. 
So we need to address first and foremost the gate. What is the gate? What is Yeshua thinking when he's giving this message? Now let's let's for the clarification and to make sure that we're all in agreement here. Yeshua was a Jew. Okay. Yeshua was a rabbi. I'm going to teach you something about how rabbis taught so that you can understand what he's saying in here. It says in Hebrew that he is the gate. Yeshua, first of all, opened up by saying in John chapter 1, the door, which is the gate. Okay? Do you know that in Hebrew, both in Hebrew and Aramaic, what is the letter in Hebrew that points us to the gate? The Dalit. Yeshua literally said, and as a matter of fact, he says, he opens up with this verse saying that the man that does not enter through the Dalit and climb in some other way is a thief and a robber. But then it's interesting that if you go to verse 9, he says, I am the gate. He makes the clarification first and foremost that the man the people need to enter through the Dalit and then later on he starts with saying I am the Dalit what is it that Yeshua is talking about see the ancient rabbis of Israel used to have a system a symmetry system to pair letters okay it is called the Atbash system but in interesting when he said that he was the Dalit He's pointing to the Hebrew alphabet. I am the Dalit, which Dalit means the door, right? Now, in Gematria, that word for Dalit actually equals, guess what? 434. There's a great remise in this. Because what he is talking about here, again, he's not a Christian pastor. And he's not making it that easy for you. Oh, well, I'm just the way to the Father and that's it. He didn't have to go give a whole sermon for that. All you have to do is make a statement and move on. But rather, he's midrashing in this. He's pulling remes from here. And he's applying principles that the rabbis were already existingly using at that time. So let's look at this. Gematria for the word Dalit. It is Dalit, Lamed, and Taf in Hebrew. And that equals 434 in Hebrew. Now, guess what? In the Tanakh, I have no PowerPoint today for you. Oh, Hashem. In the Tanakh, that leads us to a message. What he is trying to convey here to the crowds. And we turn into, first of all, Root chapter 4 4. And this is the amazing thing that I love so much about the word of Hashem. Today, we have no PowerPoint. It's raw. Looking and opening and, and flipping pages. Baruch Hashem. Root chapter 4. In verse 4, there is a word in there that equals the Dalit. And guess what that word is? Redeem. The, re the word redeem in Gematria has the same value as the Dalit. And let's read in Root 4.4, for instance. In Root 4.4 it says, 
I thought I should disclose the matter to you and say, acquired in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you are willing to redeem it, that's the word in Hebrew, redeem. That's gematria for Dalit, the door. If you're willing to redeem it, redeem. But if you're not redeemed, tell me that I may know. For there's one to redeem but you, and I come after you. I am willing to redeem it, he replied. What is the story about here? Ruth and Boaz and the aspect of the redemption. Ruth crossing over and becoming Am Israel through who? Boaz, who was the kinsman redeemer. The story here, opening with Yeshua said that I am the Dalit, he is essentially saying, <clears throat> I am your kinsman redeemer. And to make it better yet, he is trying to show us what is in the Dalit. Now, the Dalit is the door connecting to redeem. There's another word in here that I'm going to share in a minute. But what do we put in the Dalit? What do we pour, put in the doorpost? The mezuzah. What's in the mezuzah? The Torah. How do we enter when we enter into a Jewish home? What do we do? We enter through the mezuzah. We kiss it and we bring it to our lips. We are essentially digesting the Torah. See, this is more than just believe in me and that's it. He is teaching the aspect in John chapter 10 of the kinsman redeemer and what that means to each and one of the people who accepted him. Which is why he's taking us back to the book of Ruth when he says, I am the Dalit. I am the Dalit. It makes perfect sense when you understand the sages of Israel. He is using the system of Atbach that the sages were using at that time. The Dalit. Look, another word that this takes us to, <laughs> you may not want to hear this one, but it is the Hebrew word, Le Kedashe. And that is out of, let's go to together, Exodus 29.1. Because we need to understand the message that Yeshua is trying to convey in here. He's saying, I'm your kinsman redeemer. He's showing us through the book of Ruth what that means. He said, I'm redeeming you. But now this second word gives the definition and the meaning as to what does it mean to be redeemed by the kinsman redeemer. Lekedusha. What is it? Sanctification. The Dalit, when he says that I, I am the Dalit, that the man should enter through the Dalit, the man should enter to the appropriate kinsman, redeemer, and the man should be sanctified. In other words, this lawless Jesus needs to die. Simply put. Because Yeshua in here is expressing it through the teaching of the Dalit, he's saying. Those who were there understood the message. We are the ones that are confused today. They were not confused. Sanctification. Look what it says in here. In Exodus chapter 29.1, what does it say? This is what you shall do to them in what? 
consecrating them to serve me as what? Kohanims, priests. What is our position when we come through the kinsman redeemer? Through the Dalit? We are now redeemed through the kinsman redeemer. Baruch Hashem, the story of roots so we can get a better understanding. And now we are Kedushah. We are sanctified and we walk a sanctified life. See, it's John chapter 10 is more than just, just come to me vaguely and you come to the Father. No, he's teaching you what is his position, what he expects from you, so that you may walk it. He wants a life of Kedushah in Hebrew. Sanctification. The Dalit represents the Redeemer who sanctifies us. We entered. Here the thing is that if you enter through another door that is not sanctification, what are you? A thief. <gasps> did I just accuse many of our Christian brothers of thief? Yes, I did. Because the reality is it is the truth. What door are we using to come in through Yeshua? Are we coming through the Dalet as he explains it through the Midrash or as he or as we think? Are we coming through another door? As a matter of fact, there's only one door. If we're not using the door, we're breaking in. That's why he says you're a thief. The thief won't come through the door. Here's another aspect that you may not know about this. The Dalit represents the door post where it's the mezuzah. Right? Do you know that in ancient Middle, uh, in the Middle East, uh, the culture of the Middle East was that if once you crossed over the doorpost, you enter into covenant with the individual in the household? The threshold. You see, it goes much deeper than just, I'm the way to the Father, guys. Okay, goodbye. There is a lot of layers in here that he's trying to pull through the Dalit. You cross over through the threshold, the mezuzah, and the door, and Passover. What do we put the blood at the doorpost? It's right there, signifying what? Covenant. Brit. Covenant. So this covenant, he's saying, the shepherd, we go back in here. He is essentially acknowledging in here that we are to enter to the Dalit. We are to enter into the proper kinsman redeemer we are to enter through sanctification now how do we accomplish this sanctification now this is where it gets good because in the system of atbash system the system of pairing letters if you look at the dalit for the door okay the dalit is the fourth hebrew letter in the alphabet it's the gematria four if you take four from the beginning, from the Aleph, you get Dalit. If you take four going backwards from Taf, you get Kuf. So what is the word that you get? Dak in Hebrew. What is Dak? Dak literally means something that is small, something that is lean. It is from the Hebrew word Dakak in Hebrew. And Dakak literally means to become small. <laughs> In other words, I don't see if you're understanding where I'm going with this. We are to become small. We are to become humble. You enter like Judah. Good, somebody's getting it. Baruch Hashem. Judah became small. 
And what happened? There was a unification. There was a bridge, Vayigash. And here Yeshua is saying that using the Abbach system of the Dalit and understanding that this is Kedushah and redemption, we are to now be crushed, become small, become lean, thin, so that what? His kingdom can be exalted. But it gets better than this because in order for us to accept Torah, in order for us to come to brothers, to the Yehudim, to the Jews and say, you know what? What can we say? We're guilty. We have committed idolatry. We want to come and submit to you. It requires for us to become what? God. God in that is small. Like Judah did. This is the aspect, family, that we need to understand. It is important that we get this message more than anything because this is the plague that is killing us. This leads us to this parashana. The parasha in this in this uh, in this idrash today, it opens up and actually John ten eleven. And in John ten eleven, he says in here, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he isn't a shepherd." And the sheep are in his own. Sees the wolf coming. Abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf drags them off and scatters them. The higher worker behaves like this because that's all he is. He is a higher worker. So he doesn't care about the sheep. He goes on to say in 14, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own. And my own knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. Two things that we see in here with Joseph. Joseph laid down his life so that he can be a future redemption for the tribes of Israel, for one. Number two, we see the other king, the other aspect of the king in Judah, who laid down his life also at that moment when he said, take me in the instead. I will become Lord. I will, I will take a demotion from being a king. So that my brother can live. We see two aspects of here. Of redemption. And men who literally became small. Who became crushed. In order for a preservation. And in order for a nation to exist. And this is what he is elaborating in here. He laid down his life. For the sheep. Judah laid down his life. For Benjamin. Like Joseph laid down his life. For the 12 tribes of Israel. But he goes on to saying in here, I am the good shepherd. We need to look at this. What does it mean when he says, I am the good shepherd? What does it entail to be a good shepherd? One of the things that we need to look at in here is in 1 Peter 5, 4 says, actually, I'm going to go back a little bit more. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Therefore I urge the congregation leaders among you as a fellow leader and witness to the Messiah's suffering as well as a share in the glory to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is in your care. How do we shepherd the flock of God? The only way, this is another thing that he's revealing in John chapter 10, folks. He's defining what is a good shepherd. As a matter of fact, I will submit to you, he's defining what's a shepherd, period. 
There's no such thing as a bad shepherd. Then you're not a shepherd. <laughs> Simply put. It's an oxymoron right there. There's no bad shepherd. It's either you're a shepherd or you're not. Or you're a hireling. Those are the two categories. No in-betweens. Peter says in here, shepherd the flock of God that is in your care, exercising oversight, not out of constraint, but willingly, as God wants, and not out of a desire for dishonest gain, but with enthusiasm. Also, not as Machers says, domineering over those in your care, but as people who become examples to the flock. In other words, Peter is sharing, and then it says, then when the chief shepherd appears, right? When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive glory as your unfading crown. So there is a chief shepherd and there's the, sh the shepherds. But Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd. So if we are the shepherds, if we are following shepherds here on earth, then the shepherds here on earth have to follow the example of the good shepherd. But what is the good shepherd? Still up to question. Even though up to right this point, we've seen that he said in the beginning that he is the gate advocating Torah because it's the mezuzah. And we already talked about this, what it all really entails and the layers of this. To show you more proof in here, he says that he is the good shepherd. Now, the good shepherd, we read something very interesting that I found. What is the good shepherd? Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24, it gives us an insight of who is a good shepherd. Among many other parts of scripture, I just didn't I didn't want to put them all in and over bombard you today with scripture. We only have like 10-15 minutes for this. And in Ezekiel 37, 24, it says, My servant David shall be king over them. There shall be one shepherd for all of them. Who is that one shepherd for all of them? Yeshua. It's not talking about plural shepherds. It's talking about the shepherd. But look what he says. Because this makes sense because Yeshua said, I am the good shepherd. So it begs the question, if he is the good shepherd, what is the Torah says about the good shepherd? Oh, the shepherd. Look what it says in here. They shall follow my rules and faithfully obey my laws. The good shepherd is the one who's teaching them how to obey the laws of God. You, you get it? Ezekiel 37, 24. You see? Because Ezekiel prophesied what was to come. So the Mashiach here in, in, in John chapter 10 is teaching us that the shepherd is the one who is going to teach the laws of God and the rules. That is the hukims. That is the interpretations. Is this all making sense? Because we open up by him saying that the shepherd has to enter through the door. We understand that the door is the Dalit. We understand that Yeshua is speaking here. Very Jewish, by the way. Very Jewish. But if we remove ourselves from that, Yeshua is just speaking in a parable, I guess. Well, can I share some insight with you? All rabbis taught in parables in the first century. Every single one of them. Yeshua didn't bring the parable concept to the New Testament. It was an existing concept. So now what happens? 
we're going to finalize in here today with understanding something very uh, very uh, awesome and that is in here the finalization of what he says and he says in here also I have other sheep which are not from this pen I need to bring them notice what he says the sheep that are not in this pen they need to come they need to come to the pen they need to come to the house they need to enter to the Dalit they need to be sanctified they need to use the appropriate kingsmen because there he says I'm bringing them in in other words you are getting grafted in this is something folks that we have to because the anti-semitic spirit it is rampant out there and we have come out of that system and whether we realize it or not many of that anti-semitic spirit is still in us simply put we may not go around saying i'm going to kill the jews but we say it when we try to separate ourselves from them he says in here i need to bring them and they will hear my voice and there will be one how many flocks one flock one flock family one this is going what uh way taught about today about the two sticks becoming one okay so let me ask you something if the two sticks are becoming one who's grafting into who i mean we all agree that we all become one but who gets grafted into who <laughs> well yeah but it's more than that what does he represent we get grafted into the olive tree we get grafted in with the branches with his people i mean what you're saying is a fulfillment in the spirit i get that but it doesn't answer the questions for us today what does that look like when you say we get grafted into him who is he who is yeshua the king of the jews you're getting this this is the problem that in the system of religion that we came out we speak in I hate to say it but we we really don't speak very clear we like to speak in riddles yeah we get grafted into him but okay so is that means that everybody can interpret that wherever however you want to mean this is the problem that we have having believe in Jesus okay believe in Jesus I don't know how I'm going to do that but okay your word sounds good we'll kind of roll with that what does it mean to believe in him what does it mean to be unifying him stop speaking in riddles speak reality what does that mean for me today as an individual who doesn't know God this is where we're missing the ball you know why we don't talk about it because we don't have an answer but the answers are in scripture we get grafted into the tribe of judah we become one with the jewish king we learn from the ones who have the articles of god and like that we can understand his word my sheep will have sheep that are not from this pen that i need to bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd let's look at this where we see any evidence for this in the tanakh i want to take you to better sheet starting in better sheet 
in Embedded chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, 3. It says, I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is talking about Avinu Abraham. Do you know that the sages say when it says that in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This has to do, the sages of Israel say, that this has to do with the grafting of the Gentiles. That's why the New Testament talks so much about Abraham. Galatians says that if you are a believer in Yeshua, you are of the seed of Abraham. What is he saying? You belong to a family now, folks. Renounce your identity already and come to the identity of the Jewish king. You have a problem doing with that, folks, and you need to examine your heart. There's no better family that you can be a part of than God's family. This is the things that the Father's talking in this time in this season that we need to break strongholds. Many of us have too many strongholds with our family members and with our American pride. Hate to say it. For God and country, right? It ain't Texas. No offense. But you're getting my point. Our American pride won't allow us to do that. We still identify with America. We still identify with the lineage that we came out of our flesh and we're not letting go. This is the reason why we wrestle. This is the reason why we don't understand God's word. 12.3, he mentions it and he says it right here. The fulfillment of Abraham is what Yeshua is talking about in John chapter 10. There will be one flock with one shepherd. The fulfillment of Abraham. And I'm going to finalize with Yeshiahu, Isaiah chapter 11.10. We'll dismiss after this and worship. It says in Isaiah 11.10, In that day, the stock of Jesse that has remained standing shall become a standard to the people. Nations shall seek its counsel. And his abode shall be honor. And Hebrew literally says, which is stand. Then it says, Lenes. I mean, the people will be a nest. And nest is a beacon. And nest is something that you can see like a flag. The Torah will be a flag. It will be a beacon for the nations to see so that they may come and follow. What is the entirety of the goal of Scripture? What is the entirety of the end of that book that we said it is God breathed? That all those who follow his commandments will enter in, will have the right to enter into the holy city. What is the end of the book? What is the end of the story? A holy city with a skedusha, a sanctified people. With one God, one shepherd, one flock, no more denominations. The truth, Emmet. Okay. Well, if that's the goal, if that's where we're heading, why do we have such a problem in understanding then that Yeshua is saying that he is the Dalit and that it has to be, the Torah has to be a part of that. Sanctification, it's... Not an option.
has to be truth. It's not like, oh, maybe we can be sanctified. He wants you to understand the Kingsman Redeemer with sanctification. Leading up to being one shepherd with one flock. When Yeshua said, if, if you take anything out of this teaching today, he said, I'm the Dalit. Remember, he's speaking in the Jewish language of Atbash. He is speaking and, and understanding the people understood, I am the Dalit. Just like he says, I am the Aleph Tav. This is all Jewish language. <laughs> he's the Aleph Tav, the beginning letter and the last letter, symmetry of the letters when you put them together. But if we don't understand this, what are we going to do? We're going to interpret it as we see fit. And by the way, by the way, by the way, by the way, how is that going to bring a bridge? How is that going to be a bridge? Because you see, let me explain something to you folks. I had the experience, and we're going to close with this, uh, about maybe 10 years ago. I went to a, uh, a conference down in uh, South Florida. And it was a conference where I met Steve Berkson, by the way, Rabbi Steve Berkson. And it was a leadership council that we had, and there was there was Messianic Jews from all over, right? And what was happening was they were, everybody was gathered in there because they were trying to figure out kind of like the same problems that we have today. Tell those cows to move. So that's what it is. They're trying to get the cows to move. Um, so it was like, okay, how do we come up with a solution to the Messianic problem here today? And anyhow, there was a, there was a, a Jew who was there. And he was, he actually, he was Orthodox. Nobody knew that he was a Messianic Jew. He was actually Orthodox. Everybody thought he was Messianic. And he had a, he was actually running Chabad in Miami. Nicest guy that you can ever meet. At that break time at lunch, I, he, he came and sat with me for some reason. Maybe he felt sorry for me. I don't know. I was all by myself. He came and sat with me when we started talking. And he has a Chabad, of course, and he declared to me, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I was like, oh, wow. I said, I've asked him, well, I don't mind what you, I don't, if you don't mind me asking, what are you doing here? Oh, well, I wanted to explore and see this because, you see, he tells me, uh, we run the Chabad down in Miami. I'm, I'm one of the head leaders of the head leaders for the Chabad there. And I happen to have a Brich Shah in my Chabad, he says. And I was like, you have a Brich Shah in the Chabad, the New Testament? In a Chabad, Really? He said, yeah, I have one. Nobody knows that I got one. But one of the things that I, he said, nobody knows that I got one. But that's the, one of the things that he's saying. He said, I've been reading the Bihad Shah. I've been reading a lot of these things. And that's why I wanted to come to this conference to see what you guys have to say. And one of the things that he was telling me that I, because now he had my interest, you know, now I'm like, oh, ears to hear him. And I'm like, really? So you have a New Testament. So talk to me about that, I told him. He comes out to tell me, you know what? I'm reading to this Brihad Shah, and I started with the book of Matiyahu. He says, I'm right now, I think he said it was like in Romans or something like that. And he said, you know what? Richard, he says, this is a very Jewish book. He said, I read that book, and I understand everything. As a matter of fact, I was like, you know what? Let me sit down. Let's just start Midrash, because I want to hear what you have to say. Honestly. And he's like, yeah, this means this, this means this. And, you know, when I was reading in Yeshua's teaching, he said this, and this is what Hazard says, and da, da, da. I was like, see, that the thing is, folks, you see, that was the bridge. There's the bridge. See, when we take the word of God and we start misinterpreting and misrepresenting it, there's no bridge anymore. So how awesome it is that we can take this Brihadashah. You know, one of the reasons that Jewish people don't accept this Brihadashah is because we have Christianized it. That's why they don't accept it. 
Heck, I don't want it if it's Christianized either. I want the essence of the truth. We have to bring back the Jewishness of this word. Because through that, they're going to understand. You see how awesome it is that John chapter 10, if a Yehudim is here, if a Jew is here, we can use the remes that Yeshua used, and we can exalt our king, showing, look, our king is the greatest rabbi ever existed. And that they will be like, oh, wow, that makes sense. I, I recognize that. And it is awesome. This is what I want this congregation to get at that level. Where you're not talking nonsense anymore. That you're not sounding like a, a, a pagan Christian. That you sound like you're educated. You know what you're talking about. These are my people. And I'm going to show you that I'm your brother. Let me show you. And you know what? If you don't receive it, then that's on you. Because I did my job. I'm showing you through Hazal. I'm showing you through the Hebrew language. I'm, 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 I'm not just coming with some watered-down explanation that raises more questions than answers. So this is the essence what the, the John chapter 10 is showing us. Remember, he is the Dalit. He's not just the way to the Father. He's showing us he is the Redeemer and he expects sanctification. He is the one in the mezuzah and the doorpost. And as we cross over, we enter into covenant through sanctification. That's the message of John chapter 10. Baruch Hashem. And that is our message for today. Blessed be his name. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the name of the Lord be upon you forever. Amen. Thank you for being a part of our teaching. Be sure to visit our website at www.thefoundationoftheword.org for additional resources and to help us financially. It is our hope and desire that what we teach will help you in your walk with Hashem Elohim, that we bring more souls into His kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.